How would you like to be more happy? It'd be incredible, wouldn't it? What if there was an easy way for more authentic happiness? I believe I have found through positive psychology those exact hacks. You see, I'm going to summarize some of the work that I have found from a man named Martin Siegelman as it pertains to his work inside of positive psychology. Right, I need to share over and over again. I am, of course, not a psychologist in my own right, but I am fascinated by the study of the human brain and how all of this works to propel us into being the best version of ourselves. See, what Martin came up with is a practical method to increase your authentic happiness. And from that standpoint, I've seen it work time and time again, and it's time that you, my friend, experience more happiness yourselves. See, I know without a shadow of a doubt, you and I are both wired to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. That's how our brains work. When we feel good, we have far less resistance that exists to what it is. And when we have less resistance in our lives, don't things tend to flow more effortlessly in seemingly everything we do? When you and I are in a smoother flow, our team can get in a better flow state as well. There's less conflict that arises. There's almost always greater creativity, better innovation, more intense collaboration. The more con, con I'd say the more content you are, which the more happy you are, which then the more in flow you are, the more everyone around you will flow just in line. You see, I haven't found any necessarily clinical studies that prove this, but it's my belief that leaders of organizations that are more happy, more holistically centered, more quote unquote in flow would drastically outperform their peers that aren't as happy. See, there's a, there's a book by Martin Siegelman, right? Authentic happiness. And he points out that we have two distinct ways of experiencing happiness in the present, at least one is based around pleasures and the other is based around gratifications. So I want to start real quick with pleasures today. There are a couple ways to rapidly advance and maximize your pleasure. If we start by the acceptance that pleasures have sensory and emotional components like comfort, delight, ecstasy, excitement, it's a good place to set the, set the base level. These pleasures, however, tend to be very short-lived and many of them have negative consequences. Pleasures end up being an enjoyable part of life, but we don't want to necessarily eliminate these sources of uh, transitory happiness. Instead, I want to help you maximize your experience of them. So as Siegelman, I might be, I might be saying that wrong, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N, as Seligman, Seligman, Seligman offers, there's a, a couple suggestions based around his current research. The first thing we want to do is avoid the habitual use of pleasures. And what that essentially means is, I mean, think about the last time you had your favorite soft drink or energy drink or whatever it was. 
Did you ever feel like you just couldn't get enough? Maybe not a drink. Maybe it's a bag of chips. Maybe it's a savory sweet treat. But eventually, you kept eating and eating or drinking and drinking, and you had enough, right? You lost your interest in, in that thing. What's been proven is indulging in pleasures repeatedly and rapidly reduces the pleasure of the experience. And that's something that I know you've had experience with. I certainly have. And this process actually has a definition. It's called habituation. And habituation is capable of occurring on all central pleasures. Think about the last time you overplayed a song that you loved. How much pleasure does that song give you now? So in order to shift through that, the suggestion would be listening and experimenting with listening more and less frequency. The goal would be to discover the optimum time period that keeps the music freshest and your enjoyment the highest. See, I always want you to put into your life as many events as possible that produce pleasure. But increase the amount of time between these individual events more so than you usually do. So do more things that bring you pleasure, but the things you do, don't do them as frequently. You want to try to figure out that optimal time lapse that keeps your pleasures from having diminishing return. The second standpoint is to savor pleasure more deeply. The more awareness we bring to any pleasurable event, the more pleasure we can actually experience. This is one of the reasons I believe that social media is destroying everything we find to be pleasurable. Last time you went to a concert, we're at a sporting event, anywhere social. How quick were you to want to pull out your phone, share it on social media so that everyone knew where you were at? You want to share the experience. Ultimately, that's a lie. You want to increase your social status so that other people are envious of where you're at. But in doing that, you are diminishing the awareness of being present in the moment. And savoring would be the act of putting conscious attention to the experience of the pleasure in that moment. See, there's multiple different types of savoring. There's basking, right, which would be receiving praise and congratulations. There'd be thanksgiving, which would be expressing gratitude for blessings. There'd be marveling, which would be losing the self and the wonderment of the moment. And there'd be luxuriating which would be indulging the senses overall. See, there's many ways to promote savoring. And while it does include sharing the experience with others, that would be sharing the experience in the moment with others. Being present and having conversations with the people that you're presently in the moment with, it doesn't mean posting it on social media. The next thing would be anchoring mental memories of the event, taking a moment and feeling the the ticket in your hand as you cross the turnstile and you smell the air of the concert you're walking into and you feel the grass below your feet and you hear the sound of the mic checks really anchor the mental memories. In the case of basking, allowing yourself to feel prideful for being able to achieve that occurrence. It's a monumental feat to be able to save up the money to go to a concert. Enjoy it. Bask in the glory that is yourself. You just don't need to flaunt it on social media to prove your own worth. Your worth comes from inside. The third way that we can increase 
the amount of pleasure that we have is to become way more mindful of the pleasures that exist. See, so much of our days are performed without any sort of focus or attention. It's like we live our lives on autopilot. We fail to notice a great deal. Actually, the majority of our day, we fail to notice 95% of what's actually going on around us. But if you bring mindful attention to any act, it creates a worthy experience. So in the case of our pleasures, mindfulness actually elevates the experience we have to almost transcend qualities. Don't believe me? I have a little experiment for you. Let's say you're someone that really loves chocolate. And you eat that piece of chocolate while you're focusing your eyes on your computer screen. It's going to provide a certain sensory experience. You're going to tap into just so much of it. But eat it with your eyes closed and mindfully pay full attention to the smell, the texture in your hand as it enters your mouth, the sensation of your chewing. All this creates an entirely different experience in your brain. See, it's so difficult to engage in mindful activities when we're stressed and our minds are always racing. So one of the things I encourage every client to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do it right now, specifically as it pertains to food, is slow down. Get steady. Be quiet. Take a couple deep breaths. See, these are incredibly helpful before you fully tune into the sensation of any pleasure. But how do we differentiate between pleasures and gratification? Well, we already talked about pleasure, so that's pretty easy. So what are gratifications? See, gratifications are always enjoyable, but they don't necessarily evoke any sort of raw feelings like pleasure. See, pleasures require little, if any, thinking. And gratification almost always involves thinking and interpretations. See, I'm a big fan of gratification because they're things like engaging in a deep book, playing a sport that you love, immersing yourself in a truly stimulating conversation. These are things that require active participation. And while we partake in gratifying activities, time seems to stop. We lose self-consciousness. We become totally and utterly absorbed in the activity. And from this standpoint, gratification seemingly always lasts longer than pleasures. Pleasures are short-lived, right? Walking to the concert. But gratifications don't habituate anywhere nearly as easily as pleasures do. Pleasures are ultimately about engaging the senses and feeling emotions. Gratifications are about connecting ourselves to a higher part of ourselves, ultimately tapping into our personal strength and higher virtues. See, if we revert back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a core foundation for much of what I share with clients, pleasures are the satisfaction of our basic needs, especially the biological ones. But gratification, in contrast, are the result of our higher level needs, like our cognitive needs our aesthetic needs, our self-actualization and self-transcendent needs. So how do we do this? We, we, we're going to have to enter a flow state. And this is, this is difficult, right? There's this term that exists everywhere. What is flow state? How do I tap into it? There's been plenty of research done on flow states by plenty of different people. And I don't profess to be a scholar as it pertains to flow. I admittedly haven't spent much time there. The little bit that I have read, the little bit that I have studied is that when we're in flow, we generally don't feel positive emotions. We're focused. We have a clear goal. 
It's kind of like you enter a timeless state. I feel this way when I'm boxing right now. I'm absorbed in a deep but effortless activity. What becomes most interesting during that time is I lose all sense of self. I'm just there in the moment. There is no me versus the coach. and It's just there's this fluid process of being. But gratifications across the board produce a state of flow. But unlike pleasure, gratifications require skill and effort. By the nature of that statement, they would also then require the possibility of failing. See, pleasures come easily, right? You just show up somewhere, be present. Gratifications require personal strengths and are hard won. It's no wonder why you and I would seek pleasure instead of focusing on growth. It makes perfect sense to me. Another reason why we seek pleasure versus gratification is there are no shortcuts to gratification. They take consistent effort, relentless practice, and then consistent exercising of our natural strengths. But building these strengths require a consistent and conscious choice. Do you want to actually acquire them? Do you want to keep building them? And when do you want to actually use them? The easiest way that I've found to tap into this is to learn your natural strengths. And when I say strength, there's two different ways to look at it. You know, strength can be a trait, a psychological characteristic that can be seen across different situations. Or strength is a value in its own right. Strengths are states that we desire that require no additional justification. That second part is an important, important difference between gratifications and pleasures. Because pleasures are different than gratifications because gratifications are undertaken for their own sake, not for a positive emotion they may feel. There's a, a tremendous amount of different strengths that exist, right? Creativity, love of learning, perspective, bravery, love, kindness, gratitude, humility. The list is long. And I'll leave the detailed list at OptimizeLifeShow.com of the 24 different strengths that we've come up with. And then what you can do about them. So it's OptimizeLifeShow.com. Go ahead, enter your information, sign up for a complimentary account, download all the valuable resources, not only the transcription from this show, but also the value-added resources that come along with every show. My friend, if you're doing yourself the honor and service of listening to these shows, the majority of people that take the life optimization test are visual learners. They require some sort of visual stimulus as well as potentially a written note. So while I love the fact you consume podcasts, statistically, you're not retaining this unless you take additional action. Go to OptimizeLifeShow.com, download the resources, scribble some notes, so retain this stuff. In an effort to boost up the show even more, I would be honored if you'd do me just one small favor. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to shows at, please, if you've found any value in the content that I've shared, leave me a review, specifically a five-star review. Every review helps more people find the show. Every written review really stands out, especially if you got something good. But if you didn't, go ahead and let the world know. It's my sole goal with this show to debunk the mysteries that sit behind the personal development space and give you all the tools that you could ever need to progress your life forward 
as it pertains to getting clear in your mind. But for those of you that want to go even deeper than just this show, one of the best resources that I've found is the Human Potential Institute. That's humanpotentialinstitute.com forward slash optimize for some incredible information, wisdom, and knowledge as it pertains to personal development, mind, body, soul, and spirit, how they intercorrelate with each other, and what to do about them. The Human Potential Institute was founded by the brilliant Dr. Mark Atkinson, who specializes in making transformational changes in people's lives consistently on a daily basis. The Human Potential Institute is one of the best ICF, that's International Coaching Federation, accredited courses that exist currently right now. So if you're interested in bettering your own life or potentially stepping up into a leadership role and bettering the lives of others around you, go to humanpotentialinstitute.com forward slash optimize. So what are your, what are your strengths? What do you think your strengths are? See, I have two different surveys that will help you really dive into your personal strengths. I'm going to put those links on the PDF. I'm not going to try to sell them out, shout them out. It's at different universities, right? There's a VIA Institute assessment and the University of Pennsylvania assessment. You take them between 15 and 25 minutes to, to complete, and they're both scientifically validated. Full transparency, we're looking to develop our own that are comparable to help you really dive into your own strengths in something that's more internally based. But right now I don't have it, and these are two phenomenal resources. Because one of the best things you can do is actually begin to play to your signature strength. Each of us have core strengths. Our, uh, what, what I can refer to as our signature strength. Your signature strengths end up being the top five strengths from the surveys that are on the OptimizeLifeShow.com's link. But discovering those natural strengths can be an incredibly instructive process in its own right. It could clarify what you already know about yourself or highlight some things that you're not presently conscious of. It can also suggest to you where the best time is to invest your time or where the best place is to invest your time to increase your gratification. That would be essentially to experience more authentic happiness that you're in control of. But I also find it to be massively impactful to view this list the opposite way around. What happens when you know the things that you think bring you happiness, but they're at the bottom of the list? You can actually start to stay away from those. Or you can start to work to bring them up. Maybe you want to be more balanced and holistically full. See, it's natural that we would aspire to possess a high proficiency in all the 24 strengths. But there needs to be a slightly more realistic view here. When you take the assessment and you see the 24 strengths, it helps experience that leads to greater self-acceptance of your shortcomings and then renewed interest in developing your actual strengths. See, with me, what I want to do is help every client really capitalize on their signature strengths. It's actually part of my training. I walk people through these very, very well thought out nine step processes, whether it's for personal development to get clear in your mind or whether it's to get clear in your business, take your business from 10K a month to 50K a month or 50 to 100 or 100K plus. There's different, different trainings for each one. 
But there's different levels and strengths to get there. And we have to really know what our signature strengths are in every individual component. As I shared on the, the Sunday secret, knowing who your strength in speaking to is massively important. Knowing who you want to spend time with is important, especially as it pertains to business. But how do we capitalize on your signature strengths in your own subconscious? To start with the easiest way is to use your signature strength every day in the main areas of your work and your life. And more specifically, when you know the overall arching top five, right, your top five signature strengths, ask yourself a couple simple questions. What are the three to five ways I can use a strength more consciously in my daily activities, both work and personal? Then secondarily, where am I using a strength currently in my work and personal life? See, the more time and energy you invest in developing the skills in your strength areas, the more gratification you get to experience in the present moment of each day. But I'm going to shock you for a second. Stop. Stop the pursuit of authentic happiness. Now pause for a moment. Take a gentle breath. Relax. How happy do you feel right now? If you're not feeling happy, how do you feel about that? Survey your feelings carefully and be very, very honest. If you're feeling happy, please continue feeling happy. So we have a cultural bias that exists towards the feeling of happiness. The prevailing belief is that we're supposed to be happy most of the time. And then if we're not, something's amiss. Let's jump back to the question. If you're feeling a little unhappy right now, where do you notice the tension at in your body? Do you feel any emotional distress? I mean, not feeling happy is one thing, but how we relate to unpleasant feelings is something completely different. See, I found that the tension we often feel is based off this crazy underlying assumption. The assumption that we should be happy. But why? Why should happiness be the aim or ideal in our everyday human experience? I mean, after all, life is filled with difficulties, trials, pain, tribulations. There's a great deal of suffering that exists in this human experience. Is it really reasonable to expect to be happy all the time? Side note, a ton of research has been done around happiness. And the authentic happiness researchers have found that there are different happiness set points for each one of us. An example of this is roughly 20% of the people are naturally happy. They're literally born this way. Another 25% of the people tend to be more towards pessimistic and based off depression. We all have our own neutral. So I must propose a question. Could our collective bias towards happiness ultimately be an attempt to repress the darker side of our lives? Could the collective repression actually help explain why America is one of the most clinically depressed nations in the world? I think it could.
there's some additional work that was found, and I don't remember by the name of who, but I remember it stating some along the lines of it might serve us to replace the idea of happiness with something of more contentment. And from that place, that contentment could be that general feeling of just being okay with life. Because when we're content, we seem to be more in flow, right? It's easier to accept what is. It's easier to be okay with wherever we're experiencing, whether it's positive or negative. Now, I want to make sure I'm not confusing you. I'm certainly not suggesting that we don't try to find ways to increase our level of pleasure. We always want to raise our happiness and optimism, which this entire episode's about. Optimistic people with positive feelings are 50% less likely to get sick or have a heart attack. How crazy is that? But so much of this ends up being that shadow integration work I talk about. Which ends up being figuring out how to consciously work with the negative emotions that we all have. You see, you need to know that it's okay to be down. It's okay to feel depressed, to be a little anxious and afraid. When we accept that, we actually reduce our suffering. Why don't you just accept whatever feeling you have? Quit fighting it. It's going to make it not feel as bad. There's a, a conversation around jumping in a cool body of water. Right? And I'm a big fan of ice baths and things like that. So imagine you're getting into just a really cold bathtub. Then you don't have to be any ice in it. When you get in a cool body of water, if you're super tense and you're constricted, right? And you're, you shiver, you shake, you're, you're squeezing everything together. Just fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. When you finally relax yourself and you just breathe, seemingly almost by magic, the water doesn't feel as cold. Admittedly, after a period of time, it becomes downright normalized. Don't even notice the, the cold water that you're sitting in. See, when we accept what we're experiencing, it gives us more internal resources that allow us to shift into more positive space. It feels more like authentic happiness. And that's ultimately what we're all about. And so I want to leave you with a, a thought, right? And that's about your happiness and to keep in mind the moments that you're really, really happy. I'm not talking about moments where you're excited. Right? I'm not talking about moments where you're thrilled, where you got surprised with some sort of gift. But those moments where you're deeply, heartfelt, completely happy. And those moments themselves, of course, require a bit of self-analyzation. But from that self-analyzation standpoint, what is it that truly makes you happy? Stay with just that thing. No matter what people tell you, that's the thing you're supposed to be doing. With that final word, I'm Ryan Nidell, wishing you truly unlimited success. <laughs>